following message is by a guest speaker at Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I'm very honored to be here, and I'm not just saying that. It really is a privilege to be here this morning, and uh, when Steve asked me to preach, I mean, there was a moment, I'm like, why did I say yes to that? Uh, but really, I really am thankful for this opportunity to open God's Word uh, with all of you, and uh, just really excited for what God has planned uh, for this, this morning. And just a fun fact about our family, we live about a block from here. The next street over is Woodlawn. We live on Woodlawn Street, so I had a nice, easy commute uh, this morning. I did drive, honest. I could have walked, but I did drive. But I just want to pray for us as we uh, dive in this morning. Father, I truly am thankful for you. God, thank you for your church. Uh, Thank you for this community of believers uh, that have truly become dear to my heart. And this morning, God, as we open up your word, uh, we pray that our ears and our hearts would just really be attentive uh, to you. May we not push away what you are trying to say to us. And I pray, God, that the power and the truth of your word would invade our lives, God, and that we would respond to you and what you want from us. So, God, I just, I fully avail myself to you. Uh, You know my weaknesses, uh, and I just ask, God, that you would empower me and really speak this morning into our lives. And God, I pray this for your glory and in your name. Amen. I want to begin by sharing a quote uh, with you. It's from a woman named Brene Brown. And my wife was attending a conference a few years ago. She heard Brene speak. And she came home all excited. She's like, you got to read this woman's book. And I kind of brushed it off like, sure, honey, I'll read it. Eventually, I picked up her book, Daring Greatly, and read it, and it really impacted my life. I don't know if she's a believer. I think she is, but she doesn't come out and say it. Um, She's a social work professor at the University of Houston. In this quote, she is referencing an author, Lynn Twist, and it's a very powerful quote. It says, "For, for me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is I didn't get enough sleep. How many woke up this morning, that was your first thought of the day? I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours and the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit up in bed, 
before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with a litany of what we didn't get or didn't get done that day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to that reverie of lack, this internal condition of scarcity. This mindset of scarcity lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, and our arguments with life. I first read this a few years ago, so I've had time to let it simmer in my life. And it really is amazing. In a country like ours, a land of plenty, we really do struggle with scarcity in so many ways. I've begun realizing how often I live out of a place of not enough. Here's a few examples. How often do you hear someone say, there's just too many hours in the day? Why can't the days be shorter? I've never once in my life heard someone say that. But the phrase, there is not enough time, is a repetitive chant in our culture. How often do you hear someone say, I just got way too much money? Why can't I just have less money? Remember back when you got your first real job and you got your first real paycheck? It was so much money to you at the time. You had never seen a check that big. And you thought you were rich. And then you realized you have bills to pay. You have a rent or mortgage. You have a car payment. You have an electric bill. You got groceries. And that paycheck that seems so large doesn't seem like quite enough. It's really incredible when the seed of scarcity gets planted in your life, how much it can affect you. On a more personal note, a couple years ago, my younger brother called me up. He's three years younger, and I don't see him too often because he lives in Champaign. And we were talking, and then he started asking me about my hair, specifically how my hairline was doing. <laughs> so he got his hair cut recently. He realized things were changing with his hairline. And he told me, I always thought you'd be the one that would go bald first. And I kind of just laughed at him and just brushed it off. But then the next few days, I started looking in the mirror, and I realized my hairline is not where it was five years ago. And before that conversation, I had no concerns over going bald. But now I realize I'm on that journey towards baldness, like many other men. And ever since that conversation, when I go to buy shampoo, I bought, buy a shampoo that has the label on it, Hair Endurance. I want my hair to make it to the end. And advertisers know this. They feast off of our struggle with scarcity. I want to go back to the quote. Before we even sit up in bed... Before our feet touch the floor, 
we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. Brene Brown, in her book, unpacks this idea of scarcity. And she basically says we get scarcity because we live scarcity. And I really think in our culture these days, this idea of not enough has become an epidemic among us. But here's the good news. The good news is our God is not a God of scarcity. Our God is not a God of lack. Our God is not a God of not enough, but a God of abundance and fullness. Remember what Jesus even tells us in John 10, that he has come to give us life, and life to the fullest. And I really believe that God wants to break the shackles of scarcity among his people. Remind us that there is life that is more than enough in him. This morning we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there now. We're going to talk about what it means to be more than enough through Christ. When I say more than enough, it's not about what we have or material things. It's more about who we are and what we pursue as God's people. If I had to choose a favorite passage of Scripture in all the Bible, it would be this one, Philippians chapter 3. This passage came alive to me in my college years. And Paul is writing about his story, his life before Christ, and how Jesus changed everything for him. So we're going to begin by looking at verses, uh, starting in chapter 3, verse 3. Paul writes, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If others think they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul here is responding to certain religious leaders who are leading people astray and telling them that they needed to be circumcised. In the message translation, uh, it refers to these religious leaders like this in verse 1 and 2. Steer clear of the barking dogs, those religious busybodies, all bark and no bite. All they're interested in is appearances. Knife-happy circumcisers, I call them. It's a very graphic image there. Knife-happy circumcisers. These knife-happy circumcisers were telling people that their faith in Jesus was not enough. It wasn't legitimate unless they got circumcised. And Paul is saying emphatically, no 
No, no. We do not put confidence in the flesh. The flesh refers to when we trust ourselves, our own works, our efforts, our own goodness, and believe that is enough for salvation. And then Paul is just very honest. He goes on to confess all the ways that this used to be him. All the reasons that he used to boast in the flesh. And they're all religious in nature. In verse 5 he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul's spiritual and ethnic lineage is top-notch. The tribe of Benjamin was one of the elite tribes of Israel. And Paul says in regard to the law of Pharisee, the Pharisees were the strictest club of law-keeping Jews. Then he says in verse 6, As for zeal, persecuting the church. Paul's like, I was passionate about those outside my my club. And passion for something is often revealed in how you treat your enemy. When someone tells me they like both the Packers and the Bears, I'm like, come on, man, you can't can't do that. You can't like both. You got to choose one and you got to despise the other. I completely respect Bear fans, as a Green Bay Packer fan, respect Bear fans that do not like the Packers. That's the way it should be. And this is what Paul is saying. He was so passionate about the law that Christians were the enemy. And he was on the front lines of making sure their threat would be snuffed out. And then verse 6, As for righteousness based on the law faultless. Paul's like, what more can I say? I was morally perfect. And all these things for Paul, they're props. They're confidences in the flesh to build himself up to look like he is enough. And I really believe we, like Paul, we use props in our lives to cover up our feeling of not being enough. A prop is something that will protect us. A prop will perform for us. A prop will allow us to show up in front of the world as being good enough. Let me give you an example of a prop from my own life. And it's not something I'm, I'm proud of. I think God's been growing me over the years. But early on in my years of ministry... I used to dread a very normal question when someone would ask me, what do you do for a living? Man, I really did not like that question. And I would sheepishly respond, I am a pastor, but then I would add on this prop. I used to be a software engineer. Because in my mind, I was thinking, People here, I'm a pastor, like, so you really don't have a real job, do you? And my previous career was my way of covering up. My way of saying, I could have been something. And I'm not, again, I'm not proud of it. 
And it's something God has grown me in. But we use props to cover us, to protect us, to align ourselves to the values of this world. And there are many different kinds of props we can use. We could use our family background, our education. I went to the University of Michigan. We could use our job title. I think you've got to be very aware when you share your job title with someone else, what is your motive behind that? We could use our income. I don't think people tell their salaries, but we indirectly imply we got it all together financially. We can use our stuff, the house we have, the car we drive. We can even use our kids as props. See how athletic my, my child is? My son is in the gifted program. Stuff like that to use as a cover. And I really also believe we can use spiritual things as props. I've been reading my Bible for 20 years. I get up at 5 in the morning to pray. I've gone on X amount of mission trips. See, I'm serious about serving God in this world. We use props to fight against our scarcity and cover up our feeling of not being enough. And Paul himself acknowledges that these things were gains for him. Let's be honest. These props do provide some benefit or false sense of security to us. There's a reason why we struggle to let them go and why they aren't easy to shed. Yet in the end, they will fail us. I just want to encourage you this morning, this week, to think about the props in your own life that you hide behind to prove yourself to this world. And just get real honest with God with these ways that we cover up our scarcity. As we move on in the passage, we're going to see how things began to change for Paul. How Jesus really did change everything for him and how we can move from not enough to more than enough. So the next point I want to make is that Christ is more than enough for us. Christ is more than enough for us. Verse 7 and 8. I love these verses. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul came to the point in his life where he was not only aware of the props he was holding on to, but he realized that they were meaningless compared to a greater pursuit. Paul says that these things were gains to him 
but they're now a loss. In fact, they're garbage. They're completely worthless. The reason why we don't lay down our props is that we keep forgetting the greater prize. Paul says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. God's word this morning is reminding us that he is worth it. Jesus Christ is worth it. He's worth everything. And his worth surpasses everything that we can chase after and pursue. You know, I grew up in the church, and I was a nice, religious, church-going boy. I had my stuff, my, my issues, but I had a fairly good sense of right and wrong. And I did my best to do what was right. But it wasn't until my college years that Philippians 3 really clicked for me. I'll never forget the night. It was my freshman year. I was at my small group meeting. And we were studying Luke chapter 15 and the story of the two sons, two prodigal sons. A story I had heard so many times before. But that night, God awakened that passage for me. And I didn't say anything during small group. I was the quiet participant. I didn't say anything during group time. But there was a seed that was planted that night that God began to grow in me. And I realized that all my life I had been the older son. I'd seen my friends, seen kids at school go out and party and live a free life that seemed so good and attractive to me. But here I was, the good boy, who had to do what was right. And I realized that night that I was the older son who was so near to his father, but in his heart he was so far, far away. I was religious, yes, But understanding the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, not yet. And God began to work deeply in me, showing me that all my good moral and religious efforts were worthless if it didn't start with a relationship with Jesus Christ and truly knowing, loving, and worshiping Him. And a revolution started in my heart and life. And I'm so thankful to God for it. I began to see that knowing Jesus Christ is the greatest thing that I can give my life to. And it truly changed everything for me. When is the last time that you found Christ to be of such a worthwhile pursuit, that knowing Jesus would surpass everything else in your life, that Christ would be more than enough for you. I really believe this morning the Word of God is telling us that knowing Jesus Christ 
is the greatest gift and privilege for each one of us. It really is the best life possible. And we need to start or come back to a place where knowing Christ is more than enough for us. And like any relationship, knowing Jesus requires an investment. An investment that's totally worth it. To build and grow any relationship, there are a few things that are absolutely necessary. First thing is you need time together. You cannot build a relationship without time together. And it's not only the time that's important, it's your attention and your presence to God during that time. And you need to learn to interact and communicate with God. And that's why I think you just, we just got to return to the basics of Scripture and prayer are the foundational pillars for us to build a relationship with God. So my prayer for us is that in the busyness of life, in all that pulls at us, will we set aside time to really be present and really be attentive to Christ and truly build your relationship with him this year. And Paul reminds us in verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul is saying, very simply put, no matter what, no matter what, in the depth of suffering or the joy of resurrection and new life, I want to know Christ. Can we get to that place of no matter what? No matter what, let all the other excuses fade away. I don't have enough time. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. No matter what, will we pursue Jesus Christ? My prayer is that more and more we would become people that show by our lives that we want to know Christ no matter what. Christ is more than enough for us. The final thing I want to say this morning is that we are more than enough in Christ. We are more than enough in Christ. Going back to verse 8. I consider them garbage. All these props, all these confidences in the flesh, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. This small little phrase, be found in Him, is huge. Paul is saying before he was found as an elite Hebrew Pharisee, a faultless zealot, but now that all these props have been stripped away, he is simply found in Christ. His identity is now wrapped up in being united in relationship with Jesus. And that is more than enough for Paul. 
There is no lengthy list of things anymore, but to simply be found in Christ. In Christ is a powerful truth for us as believers. It involves our identity and security. That we belong to Jesus and are secure because of Jesus. And I think we struggle a lot of times because we forget we have an enemy that is constantly telling us that we are not enough. That is the language the enemy speaks. You are not enough. He loves to bring shame and condemnation and destroy and steal the life that God wants for you. I love what Stacy Eldridge, she's a Christian author, writes here. She's very honest and very raw about her struggles. She says, I know I'm not alone in this nagging sense of failing to measure up, a feeling of not being good enough as a woman. Every woman I've ever met feels it, something deeper than just a sense of failing at what she does, an underlying gut feeling at failing at who she is. I am not enough, and I am too much at the same time. Not pretty enough, not thin enough, not kind enough, not gracious enough, not disciplined enough, but too emotional, too needy, too sensitive, too strong, too opinionated, too messy. And the result is shame. The enemy uses shame to tell us we are not enough. And I think we're afraid when we strip away all those props that we hide behind, that we will be left exposed as weak, ugly, incompetent, worthless. Yet the truth is that we are found in Christ. We need to lay a hold of our identity. Our identity. We are in Christ. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are sought after. We are cherished. We are strong. We are courageous. We are unbelievably worthwhile because of Jesus. Only in Christ can we find our wholeness, our peace, our belovedness, our security. When we live out of this place of being more than enough in Christ, it will wash away all the ways that we punish ourselves with shame, condemnation, and retelling the lie that we are not enough. Paul continues in verse 8 and 9, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Then he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul is saying that he used to seek righteousness through his own strength in following the law. But now he's done with that way. 
Now he realizes that righteousness can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. We need to stop putting our trust in the props we hide behind. We need to reclaim our identity that we are in Christ. And it really does come down to faith. Will we believe what God has said is true? That we are found in Him. That we are more than enough in Him. I really believe this lie that we are not enough that we are not enough is rampant in the Christian community. Many of us struggle with this. And I want to begin to encourage you to pray prayers reclaiming your identity, that you're more than enough in Christ. And it can be a very simple breath prayer. I don't know if you're familiar with a breath prayer, but a simple phrase that you repeat throughout the week to just come before God uh, to claim what is true. It could be something as simply as, I am more than enough in Christ. I am more than enough in Christ. Keep praying that over and over throughout the day. Or I am found in Christ. My identity is secure. I am found in Christ. Very simple prayers, but powerful prayers to hold on to our identity in Jesus. We are in Christ. And that makes all the difference in the world. As I close, I just want to encourage you this week to really look at your life really begin to see how often you live out of a place of scarcity, a place of not being enough. I've been very honest at Harvest about this, but I've always struggled with a fear of public speaking. It's very humorous that God called me to be a pastor. Every time I'm up here, I feel that sense of inadequacy, that feeling that I'm not enough. This morning, I'm replacing Dr. Steve. There's a little bit of pressure (laughs) there. And every time I stand up here, I feel like I might get exposed. See, he's not enough. I had to be very honest with God as I was preparing. And God has grown me so much over the years and brought me back to a place of remembering I am enough in him. And it's so much less about me and so much more about him. And I just think about what John the Baptist said in John 3.30. He must become greater. I must become less. I want to encourage you to get real about your props. You have them. You have things in your life that you use as a cover that allows you to show up before the world as good enough. We're putting confidence in things that will fail us. We need to let them go. 
One of the convictions that, was, that God was building into my heart through refocus last weekend was what more does God need to do to prove that he is worth it to us? What more does God need to do to prove that he's worth it? He's already sent his son into this world to die for us, to rescue us from a life apart from him. He's placed us in good churches where the leaders want to honor and follow God. We're in small groups that people are trying to authentically follow Jesus Christ. What more does he need to do to prove that he's worth it? This, this morning, let us remember who is of surpassing worth. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You will not regret every single time you say yes to pursuing Christ. Our relationship with Jesus really is the best thing we have going for us. And if you're not in a place to believe that or acknowledge that, just tell God where you're at. He's big enough to handle it. Just tell him where you're at. And for those of you who struggle with the idea that you are not enough, don't let shame and condemnation win the day. God wants you to come out of the darkness and into the light, into his grace and truth. I just want to encourage you in community, in your small group, be honest with the ways that you struggle with not being enough. Remember that your identity is secure through Jesus Christ. You are found in Christ as a believer. And ask God for the faith to believe that more and more. As I close, I want to pray for us and pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to be at work in us this morning and throughout this week, reminding us that He is worth everything. There's nothing that compares to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Reminding us again and again through his Holy Spirit that we are found in Christ and our identity is secure in him. Let's pray together. God, in some ways, this message this morning is so simple and so basic. And many of us have probably heard this so many times. But I pray this morning through your word that is living and active that you would once again bring us back to that place to remember that Christ is our greatest treasure, our greatest reward. And God, you are worth everything. 
God, we want to thank you for how much you have done for us. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for this world that you've made. Thank you for not leaving us alone in our sin and rebellion, but for constantly chasing after us after your, through your love and your grace. And I believe this morning, God, you are still chasing after us. And you're wanting to see us allow you to become first place again in our hearts. So God, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will just continue to be at work in us right now. God, you would reveal those things that we hide behind. Those props, those confidences in the flesh that often, often give us security and comfort and falsely make us believe we're valuable in this world. And God, as you reveal and point them out, that we would be so quick to let them go so quick to confess them and repent them, repent of them before you, God. And help us to believe, God, that you will be trustworthy in allowing us to know you, that you will reveal yourself to us as we long to pursue you and seek you, God, you will show yourself to us because you are a God who wants to reveal himself. You're a God who wants to be known, and we just thank you for that. So God, may knowing Jesus Christ be our greatest reward and pursuit. May it be the testimony that Emmanuel Community Church leaves behind in this world that this is a church that unashamedly wants to know Jesus, no matter what the cost is. So God, we just avail ourselves to you right now and pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.